0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Poor economics on the farm slowed us a bit. I think Uh, we have prosperity. We have more money to spend toward conservation.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. This is Delaney Howell, of course, joined by our summer intern Madison Honkamp. We are solo today without Mike. He is coming back to the Iowa State Fair for tomorrow. Madison, you're heading to the State Fair today, is that right?
2: Yes, it is County Fair Day, and my dad is on our County Fair Board, so all the Fair Boards kind of join together at the um, State Fair Manager's house and have a dinner, and we get to talk to some of the, fair board me- or the State Fair Board members, and we get to see our County Fair Queen and our County Fair King, so we always go the first Friday of the State Fair.
0: Well, that will be really fun. And we are Mm -hmm. also going to be at the State Fair tomorrow shooting some footage and videos posting on our Facebook and Twitter accounts for the Governor's Charity Steer Show.
2: Yes, definitely tune in for that.
0: Yes, that'll be about 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. You can Mm -hmm. tune in with us there. If you can't make it to the show, or, you know, if you're not from the state of Iowa and you just want to know what the heck we're talking about, um, <laughs> it's a really, really neat show. It is a fundraising event put on by the Iowa Beef Industry Council as well as the Iowa Cattlemen's Association to raise funds for the Ronald McDonald House. So all of the steers are donated by 4-H families, so there will be a 4-H member that will be helping their celebrity, and I say that in quotes, they're celebrity showmen so mike will be showing as one of the celebrities i got to show in it last year they pick people from ag and non-ag sectors so it's really fun to just see everybody come together and raise money for the ronald mcdonald house
2: yes it really is a great um it's on it's like a a unique way for a a fundraiser really
0: yeah it is it's a really fun yeah really neat way
2: well, Delaney, speaking of some fun, I have a fun, quick little Fry type article here. I really wish Mike could I need to talk about this with Mike because I think he would really like it as well. But in on August 13th of 2020, we will be seeing the Yankees and the White Sox playing at, in Dyersville, Iowa. And Delaney, do you know what movie was shot in Dyersville?
0: I was so upset about this. I heard, (laughs) oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. I heard today on the radio when I was driving to the gym or something, they were doing a trivia session with two call-in folks, and Mm -hmm. it was focused on Iowa trivia, and they did not know what movie had been shot in Dyersville. Oh, wait, no, they knew the movie. The people didn't know the town, but it's Field of Dreams, which mm-hmm. is an iconic baseball movie, was there yes. in Dyersville. And now they're going to do this cool baseball game. I heard they're only giving out 8,000 tickets, though. So I don't know how I'm yeah. going to become one of these 8,000 people, but I would <laughs> love to go.
2: I know. I I really want to try to be one of those 8,000, but they're putting up a temporary um, stadium, basically. And then it's it will be broadcasted. I think Geico is one of the sponsors for it, as well as, of course, MLB is the one that came out with this um report, or not report, but article announcement, and it will be broadcasted on Fox, and yeah, I think it'll be a great way for people to see what Iowa's all about, um, see a landmark that we have, and if you haven't seen Field of Dreams, definitely watch it.
0: Yes, absolutely, and Dyersville is a very rural town, so it's going to be interesting Mm -hmm. to see how they uh, host this influx of people, but yeah, that is some fun news to share Definitely. Definitely. I've got one other interesting or fun, quirky piece of news. I, this was sent to me by Gary Rasmussen. Shout out to Gary there in Michigan, a uh, podcast listener who's been on the show with us before. But um, French's mustard. Have you, do you like mustard, Madison?
2: No, I do not. I do either.
0: Yeah, I'm not a mustard person. But French's mustard is creating an ice cream flavor of French's mustard flavor. That is. That's what the ice cream is going to taste like, is mustard-flavored ice cream.
2: Um, I don't know if there's really any. Actually, no. I take that back. My dad would love that. Um.
0: (laughs) uh, So I didn't realize this, but um, apparently earlier this week, Oscar Mayer introduced hot dog-flavored ice cream, uh, a hot dog-flavored ice cream sandwich, and now French's is introducing a mustard ice cream. Which will sound gross so I'm gonna leave that to Mike to try he's our food yeah
2: (laughs) he can he can test all these foods and then write an article and post it on global ag network so then people can just go read his review
0: I think actually that would be (laughs) I think I mean I've thought about doing that too myself I think that would be actually really fun
2: yeah it would be a great way it's like you just be your little fruit a food critic Mm -hmm. but you just write a fun article
0: yeah and yeah all right. Let's 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 yeah. assign that to Mike when he gets back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's definitely a Mike job.
0: It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. But uh, on a more serious note, Madison, looking at some of the news that's been really dominating the headlines this week has been China. And as we know, President Trump has threatened to impose another round of tariffs, or really the last round on all possible goods coming in from China will be tariffed at that point on September 1st. But it appears that even though China has said they will not buy U.S. ag products if that happens, they have not cut off the buying yet. As of August 1st, according to the USDA, China is still buying U.S. soybeans, and actually August 3rd, they've got some data there from the weekly export sales numbers. USDA reported net sales of 126,000 metric tons of soybeans to China and exports of 516,000 metric tons. For sorghum, they also say there have been some net sales there of about 25,000 metric tons. So it appears that China has not yet backed off on buying soybeans yet. But uh, that September 1st date is definitely one that we are going to have to continue to watch.
2: Yes, and that's really, that's coming up pretty soon. Like, it'll be here before we know it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the state fair is usually my time when I'm like, oh, crap, summer is pretty much over now. Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of some trade news, uh, USMCA again is in the news today with House Democrats and Trump administration continuing to discuss different changes um, that this trade uh, for this trade deal during the August recess. But a new prediction from a Texas Democrat did cast a lot of doubt on the goal of the landing deal in hopefully September Um, But they are really, really discussing the labor issues that have kind of come up and they're needing to be addressed with not only Mexico, but also Canada as well as us. And so hopefully we can continue to see this rolling and get this ratified soon.
0: Yes, it seems like even though Congress is on recess, we're still seeing some staffers and other folks working on USMCA. So I don't know if it's going to get done by the end of this year, but I think people are still kind of hopeful that we might see it be wrapped up by the end of this year.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, know, well, and I think like they are trying to get this done, even though they are in recess, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just been on their desks for oh, yeah. so long. Oh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yesterday, Mike talked a little bit about some of the interest rates and um, economic stuff that we've been seeing flowing in and out of farm country. And the FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and of course most banks are, or I think all banks have to be FDIC'd now, but they put out a quarterly call report which reveals delinquency rates for commercial agriculture loans in both the real estate side and non-real estate side. So the the uh, capital side, such as equipment, etc. They're at a six-year high, those delinquency rates. For the first quarter of 2019, about two and a half percent of commercial real estate loans in agriculture were more than 30 days past due, which, you know, from 2.1%, so not up a huge amount there, but historically about 2.1% is where those delinquency rates sit for agriculture. Mm-hmm. And similarly, about 2.3% of non real estate loans in agriculture um, were up, were, were more than 30 days past due, which is up from 1.5% in the prior quarter. And the historical average there is about 1.7%. So really, over the past six years here, we've continued to see more folks struggling to make those payments on time. And uh, that data just continues to be backed up here by some firm numbers.
2: Yes, definitely. I think that's kind of become a trend, well, a trend almost that we've seen is as because, like, farmers are have been struggling more and more, so then, obviously, those loans are not being paid correctly as they yes, struggle more as the years go on.
0: That is yeah. correct, Madison. Well, let's see. What else mm-hmm. do you have jumping out at you for news today? Um, well, the
2: UN did release their climate change report yesterday, and it... Uh, they kind of laid out a, the, a dire future for the agriculture industry if climate change isn't adequately addressed. So obviously rising temperatures will intensify droughts, floods, and heat waves. But at the same time, this also will affect soil loss um, and just everything that goes along with climate change. But a lot of the what they are saying for solutions is proposing to improve land productivity, decreasing food waste, and consuming less meat, which also promotes sustainable agriculture practices like improved soil management and planting more trees, which I think a lot of our industry has gotten a lot better about. Um, this has been a huge topic in the news since however long, I don't even know, for years almost. But one thing that stood out to me was that they are really focusing in on People's diets and red meat consumption, um, which obviously I have an issue with because, like, we raise cattle. Our freezer's full of beef right now. Like, that's about it. (laughs) That's all we have. Yeah. Um. But so I guess we'll kind of see how this continues to develop as they do more research All right. but right now they're looking for people to eat less meat to save the climate is a quote
0: i don't think that's gonna happen i don't know i yeah, mean, they don't either it might by some people i don't plan on partaking in that i could see no, seeing neither. less eating less red meat i mean i've i know that that yeah. does increase your chances of like heart disease and stuff but i still am not gonna ever not eat it
2: yeah no and
0: like One of
2: the things that I kind of have an issue with them putting a lot of the blame on like ag Mm -hmm. is because when they say don't eat all, they say don't eat meat, don't eat this, don't eat that. But then they make these like alternate protein sources that use more energy and more um, resources to make rather than just like raising a calf that will and just go to the meat locker almost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they're lo- making it look like meat. So it's like, uh, that's, you know, yeah. my, we've had this discussion before, yeah. but uh yeah. yeah. Well, the only other piece of news I had for today is just a quick update here on the chlorpyrifos decision. We know that EPA has said that they will not be allowed to use chlorpyrifos as a tool anymore, as a chemical. And six states and a coalition of environmental groups and farm workers, or I'm sorry, We've we've seen the EPA said that they can continue using chlorpyrifos, but we've seen six states and a coalition of environmental farm workers and other groups are suing the EPA about that decision. They said that this should not be allowed. Those states include California, New York, Vermont, Maryland, Washington, and Massachusetts. They filed a suit in the Ninth Circuit alleging that the EPA did not meet a requirement in the Federal Food and Drug Co- and Co- Cosmetic Act to ensure the product is safe. And so they said the EPA needs to reverse that decision back and not allow chlorpyrifos to be a used tool anymore. So we will continue to watch how that story develops. Yes, we definitely will. Madison, did you have any other news for today? I am all out. All right. Well, then let's take a look at the commodity markets today. Of course, our markets are sponsored by the Zaner Group, which... Mike mentioned yesterday they had a great webinar. I think you can catch that on the Zaner Group YouTube page. They were discussing the report that is coming out on Monday, folks, the Wazi report. I'm sure you're all watching it closely as well. It seems like we have had some strength, especially in the soybean markets, heading into this report. So let's take a look at where they closed for today. Looking in the September corn contract, we lost just three quarters of a cent to close at 410 and a quarter. The December contract cut a half a cent to end at 417 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the August contract up eight and three quarters cents to close at 873 and three quarters. November new crop contract up eight and three quarters cents as well to close at 891 and three quarters. The wheat pits had just slight gains today with the September contract putting on a penny to close at 499 and a half. The December contract up a penny and a half to close at 501 and a half. Looking over into the livestock pits, the live cattle contract, August put on 10 cents to close at 108.05, the October unchanged to close at 106.75. In the feeder cattle pits, they were not spared today. The August contract shed 95 cents to close at 138.90, the September cut $1.42 and a half to close at 138.45. In the lean hog pits, we're seeing a little bit of some spread action here with the August contract up $1.67 to close at $7,902. The October down $0.90 cents to close at sixty-six point ninety-seven and a half. and a half. And rounding out our markets with the dairy class 3 milk futures, the August contract up $0.07 cents to close at seventeen sixty-one, And the September added $0.08 cents to close at 17 87. Now for today's interview, we are going to be turning it over here to our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, who had an interview with Craig Hill of the Iowa Farm Bureau talking about the nutrient reduction strategy and how that's working, especially in years like this one. So let's turn it over to Bruce.
3: Six years ago, Iowa developed what is called the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy in an effort to improve water quality in the state. The Iowa Farm Bureau was there at the beginning. I recently had a chance to visit with Iowa Farm Bureau President Craig Hill to get an update on the strategy and see how it's working. It took a number of years to develop that strategy. I
1: think uh, work began maybe as early as 2008 with uh, the hypoxia task force that was uh, formed to look at how we can respond uh, to the needs of reducing that uh, hypoxic zone in, in the Gulf of Mexico. But uh, our voting delegates, uh, our organization, approved a nutrient reduction strategy in 2012, an approach that we felt provided a voluntary menu uh, of items and and practices that we can all do, uh, depending on your landscape, uh, to both reduce nitrogen and uh, reduce phosphorus loadings. You know, rivers and streams and the legislature approved that in 2013 and adopted that as a strategy for the state um, we had lots of accolades from those even from epa i remember gina mccarthy at the iowa state fair uh... years ago that said this should be a model for other states and so we were praised by the epa and so we felt very good about uh... what we had prepared as a plan and now it's time to execute um, Farmers have been executing that plan, and they look at that menu of things they can do on their farms. Um, it takes investment. It takes a lot of money uh, to accomplish these goals. And with uh, poor economics on the farm, it's slowed us a bit, I think. Uh, when we have prosperity, we have more money to spend toward conservation. But progress has been pretty substantial.
3: Now, it's a co- collaborative effort, isn't it, Craig? Uh, not just farmers, but uh, the university and the state of Iowa and and also private industry is involved with this whole thing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, farmers have over the years depended a great deal on USDA and uh, RCS for assistance in both technical assistance and, and financial assistance and in, in some of our conservation efforts. But We've had uh, the state step forward, uh, passage of Senate File 512, which I believe provides around $280 million over the next uh, decade or so for farmers to uh, utilize to, to bring practices to their farm. Uh, we've got several organizations that have sprung up uh, IAWA. Uh, Iowa Water Organization that a consortium of commodity groups have formed, uh, NREC, which is the Iowa uh, Nutrient Research and Education Council, and I'm a part of that uh, as Farm Bureau has been a member with Agribusiness and others uh, in that effort. Uh, The state of Iowa, uh, the federal government, private enterprise, commodity organizations, farm groups, we've all stepped up, and I think that was the uh, motivation behind the plan that it should be proactive, voluntary efforts uh, with a lack of finger-pointing. <laughs> we, we didn't think that we should all be pointing at urban and rural and, and all of the uh, various uh, uh, components that do lead to nutrient loading, but yet work together and collaborate together to, to resolve this issue.
3: Farmers are certainly doing their part, not only physically, but financially, they're also putting in a lot of money. What types of projects have you seen farmers doing in Iowa to improve water quality?
1: Well, certainly, and, you know, it varies where you are in the state. In my area, in Warren County, uh, my sense is that on my farm that uh, soil retention and uh, slowing the load of phosphorus in, in water is more important than the nitrates. And so terraces, uh, grassed waterways, uh, saturated buffers in some cases, um, you know, when we control erosion with no-till and the adoption of no-till, um, when we reduce erosion with cover crops. And so those practices uh, in some areas uh, are heavily adopted. And then in others, um, nitrates may be a bigger concern bioreactors we celebrate uh... farmers when they do take um, initiative i know of a farmer in jasper county that will be celebrated here at the state fair for installing two bioreactors which are very expensive uh, propositions to to filter and treat about a hundred seventy acres on his farm uh... but it just varies where you are in the state and and again um, for some it's uh... cover crops for some it's a wetland and uh... And creating a new wetland, uh, there's a number of those around the state being uh, created. Um, again, saturated buffers and a whole host of other things. You know, Bruce, we have uh, we've already taken steps to manage our application of fertilizer properly: um, the right product, the right rate, uh, the right placement. Um, those efforts have been ongoing, and we've got a pretty good handle on that. We're not we're not mistreating our fertilizer products uh, or our manure products. We we're, we're injecting uh, and doing the right uh, practices to to put those nutrients where they need to be and where they need to stay.
3: Now you've been through uh, six years now of the of the strategy, and it looks to me, Craig, like it's a, a work in progress that you're learning new things. Every year, it seems to be, especially with cover crops and with some of the other practices that you've talked about. So everybody is learning as you go along. I'm assuming.
1: Yes, and you know that's an important point. Um, you've got to recognize certain realities, um, and some of the nitri- or the nitrogen and phosphorus loads, some of the nutrient loads, are natural. Uh, we won't be able to control some, and so to identify what. Is controllable uh, by our practices, or maybe what loads are there natural occurring uh, is something that we need to study a little bit, so we know, uh, you know, realistically what we can do. Uh, we won't end erosion; uh, we never will, um, but uh, we can learn a lot about, you know, the timing of heavy rainfall events and how we should prepare for those rainfall events. Um, uh, nitrogen, as, as I mentioned, is naturally occurring. Um, you know, what microbial activity leads to additional mineralization and conversion that would result uh, uh, in a mobile form of nitrogen? So there's a lot of work yet to do, and we, uh, we expend funds uh, and research um, continuously
3: you mentioned uh, there is a lot of work left to do but but after this six year period uh do you see progress being made on all fronts there?
1: there is um and I think we're we're surpassing one and a half million acres now of cover crops uh, there's some reports yet to come out that we're looking forward to to see and measure that progress. Um, we have education out there that I'm really proud of our farmers are understanding and and learning more, the demonstration uh, projects that we have around the state are well attended and observed, and and we're learning. Um, we're uh, we're helping one another understand and and do better. So that's a that's a big part of this is just the educational
3: piece. The strategy is getting national attention from other farm groups and the federal government. Our thanks to Craig Hill, president of the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. I'm Bruce Gorder for Ag News Daily.
2: Huge thanks to Bruce there for bringing us that interview. Um, I always think it was really interesting what they had there.
0: Absolutely that it was, Madison. Madison, tell us before we let the people go for the weekend, how can they find us on social media?
2: Well, Delaney listeners can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. But if they want to get caught up on past episodes, they can always find us at globalagnetwork.com slash Daily. But also they can find so many more, not only podcasts, but also articles and from our other providers.
0: All right, Madison, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let him go.